Welcome to the Sea Press Podcast, a podcast from the Presbytery of Seattle that invites you into conversations about issues and topics that are meaningful to the church and its people. Uh, today with me is um, my good friend and colleague, Reverend Tally Hairston from the Seattle Presbytery, and also another dear friend and colleague, the Reverend Denise Anderson who um, is a former co-moderator of the PCUSA and is now on the Presbyterian Mission Agency staff. We've invited ourselves actually to have a conversation on this uh, Thursday, two days after our national election. And I guess where we're at today is just, um, it's not the morning after, but we're still um, trying to reco recover, recuperate, make, make sense of the post-election. Um, Tally's going to facilitate our conversation, so I want to turn it over to you, Tally. Thank you, Eliana. Um, Reverend Maxim, it's so good to be with everyone. It's so good. Introduce myself. It's like I'm you. Here. Yes. <laughs> so let us introduce the Reverend Eliana Maxim, who's co-executive of Seattle Presbytery, and um, yeah, it's good to be with both of you. Just to kind of start off on more of our, I would say an ancestral foot um, where we, we like to check in on where we are and find out where we're centered after, um, I should say the day after the day after the election, right? Where we're still trying to figure out, is it over yet? How, how are you experiencing um, yourselves right now in terms of how are you centering yourselves? How are you feeling connected or disconnected or What's your embodied experience right now? I've been, it, there's been a, a swelling anxiety growing in me leading up to Tuesday um, that isn't quite so much there anymore and really was rooted in just the unknown, like not knowing what we're in for, um, understanding that there are various threats around I don't know, um, people taking it upon themselves to be the guardians of the ballot and just all kinds of crazy conspiracy theories floating around. You just did not know what today, what, well, not today, <laughs> Tuesday would bring. And just that unknown and having been repeatedly reminded of where we are as a country with regard to our, um, our commitments to racism and white supremacy, um, being constantly disappointed in people who are leading us and who have been charged um, with our care as a, as a country, as a community. It felt very hard to be hopeful ahead of Tuesday, irrespective of which way the ballot swung, but I'm I'm coming through that. I, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd have to echo that, Denise. I think there's been a, some significant anxiety leading up um, to this election. I think my hope has also been mingled with a, a deep sadness. The realization that over 67 million people voted in such a way in this election, um, endorsing what kind of values or lack of values, um, policies were expressed by um, this administration. 
and it really doesn't have to do with partisan politics in my mind, but it has to do more with knowing full well that this was the stance towards immigrants, towards black lives, towards LGBTQ individuals, knowing all that full well, there were still 67 million Americans who think that's okay. I can live with that. Um, that's the sadness that I, I feel like I'm still carrying. It's a heaviness that I carry and that I'm finding, I'm searching for what and where to put that weariness down. It's a weariness and, and, and sort of this wrestling that we've been doing though for some years now. And I think the liminality of Tuesday up until today, just there's that added dimension of anxiety because you don't really know what the future looks like. Like we have a little better picture now on Thursday than we did on Tuesday, but we don't have any assurances or, or confirmations. And so that's hard to be in that liminal space. That liminal space, great. I I love that. My favorite um, movie person, producer, director, M. Night Shalaman says, fear is the unknown, right? Fear mm -hmm. is the unknown. And if you've ever seen a movie by M. Night Shalaman, uh, he relishes in, in the unknown, which creates a whole lot of fear for us. And it's almost how we're enculturated today, right? That when we don't know something, so when we're in that liminal space of caught between Fear is just becomes normative for many of us. And yet the scripture continues to tell us, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. Right. And so where where do you find yourselves in that space of trying to live into the scripture of of, of fearing not? Because as pastors and leaders, folks are following us right in this moment. And so we've got to figure out how to lean into the fear not. Correct? Or where am I wrong? No, I think you're you're completely right, Tally. I think this um, this call for from Scripture to all of us throughout the ages to fear not is also another admonition for us to remember that we don't do this alone, that we don't journey alone, that God is with us. God, after all, is Emmanuel, and that we have each other. Um, that said. I think it's also a admonition that we have been trying to do this on our own. It's a reminder to me that we have kind of chartered up our own projects and programs and plans and initiatives and kind of felt like, wow, we did all this work and nothing's changed. I think it's a good time for us to take a step back and say, where is God in the midst of this and how is God leading us? How is God leading me into this authentic engagement to tackle these issues? I wanna trouble the waters too of what we understand as fear or being afraid because fear is a friend. Fear is the good sense that God gives us <laughs> so that we don't just jump into, I don't know, a 15 foot pool, pool when we can't swim. Like that fear of the water is there to keep us um, safe so that we can go on and live another day um, and hopefully build God's reign. If there might be another way to receive that admonition, it would be 
Okay, you're scared, but do it anyway. Okay, you're scared, you're frightened, you don't really know what's happening, but continue to be. You still have a job, you still have a call. Fear is paralyzing, but I need you not to wait until the fear is gone to do something. I need you to do it. You know, we're, we're, we are surrounded. Um, we just came out of All Saints Day. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And what I love about the writer of Hebrews, when they say that in, in chapter 12, it, it, it comes after chapter 11, which is a whole litany of the stories of faithful throughout the ages who no doubt were scared, um, but did it anyway. And we have those examples, not just in scripture, but in our own families, in our own histories, in our own national narratives, in our own life, ex life experiences from which we can draw and, and remember, hey, God got me through that. Mm. God got my people through that. Yeah, and, and that's uh, sweetly said. And I think the what that resonates for me or what that calls out in me um, is this idea that while I may fear because of the unknown, I'm challenged to not step into the future in that moment, but rather rely on the past for which our forefathers and mothers were delivered from so much. In that moment, God becomes the God of history, mm -hmm. uh, the God who, and the God who knows it that history better than I do, right? And so I step into that with a little bit more faith and less fear because of that um, reflection for me, right? And, you know, Eliana, one of the things that um, you brought up early for me that I wanna come back to is, is um, what I call public theology. You've heard me talk about this. Like, our, what, is our, what is our theology outside of the church around these? And now we're looking at a divided church post-civil rights, a divided church post uh, a Black president. We just seem to not be able to do what Jesus prayed for, some form of unity in, in the public, not, not necessarily unity in the church, but <laughs> we can't even be unified outside of the church. Um, this for me is, is a huge, like, uh, man, wow, 60 years after civil rights and we're still as polarized as the world we're supposed to be modeling unity for. I'm stuck there. I am convinced that for me anyway, it's because we didn't do the hard work. You know, we, we entered the civil rights we exited the civil rights era straight into reconciliation. And we felt like now we've done, we were there, we arrived. The church felt we've arrived because we're engaged in all sorts of reconciliatory movements and prayer services, right. engagement and reading books. And the hard work that happens in the middle, we never, we never wrestled with that. We never tangled. Mm. So can we talk about reconciliation for a minute? Yes, let's do that. Uh, yeah, please. Curtis DeYoung and Alan Bosak wrote a fabulous book that should be required reading for the entire Church of Jesus Christ, Radical Reconciliation. Yes. 
And they pull apart um, this notion, katalaso, um, that Paul uses and that we translate as reconciliation, which really means in its context, trading places. It is the act of Jesus trading glory and divinity for humanity mm -hmm. and, and putting and God putting God's self in the place of human beings, of God's own creation. So how the early church lived out reconciliation was that places were literally traded. So you had the Jews who were Jesus's community, the members of his inner circle were Jews, practiced Judaism. They were also an occupied people. They were under Roman subjugation, repression, oppression. They were occupied. And that early church had members of the occupying nation who then had to shed their own privilege and power and be received into the homes of the Jewish Christians so that they might be in relationship. So the church really, after it became a tool of empire, lost that orientation of reconciliation. It lost the understanding of what it meant to go to the vulnerable, the more vulnerable than you, the less powerful or, or disempowered among you and to be their people. That's what the church was supposed to do. What it chose instead was to hold hands and pretend that everything was fine now and to never speak of it again, except in platitudes. Right. It's so funny you bring up uh, Dr. Alan Bosak and Curtis Paul DeYoung. Uh, <laughs> I interviewed them in Seattle, February, 2013 around their book, right? And in fact, we'll probably need to link that into this uh, on our webpage so you can see the YouTube interview we did. Uh, this was a very, this is a very powerful text you bring up. In fact, one of the stories that, uh, that calls out everything you're saying, Denise, is, is when David gets called on the carpet by a woman um, who is essentially has no place to be calling David out. Mm -hmm. And she goes to the temple she goes to the palace consistently to call David out. Why would they put that in there? Mm. It, it, right? Why would they put that in there? And, 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 and we wrestle, but that's radical reconciliation. And what she calls David to in that moment is to repair before they reconcile. Right. We skipped over the reparative work. And so our reconciliation is, is not radical. Exactly. Neither is it very reconciliatory. Right, it is, it is, it is hand-holding, it is, it is making up, it is what we were as little kids asked to do when we fought with our brother and sisters and, and they, you know, hug and make up. And you knew good and well you didn't make up, you knew good and well you didn't do the reparative work, you knew good and well you guys still had odds against one another. And now the church finds itself right back here again because it didn't do the reparative work, it didn't do the restorative work, and now it's trying to get to reconciliation. And Eliane, you've heard me say that we need to put a pause on reconciliation until we do the first work. And, and for me, just bringing this back to, well, now we've had this national election. Now what? The same issues that Black 
Americans were facing before this election are still true today and will be still true next week, regardless of who our president is. The reality of 545 children who've been orphaned from their families because they were separated at the border is still our reality this week and next week, regardless who our president is. That work that we have to do is still present regardless of who we've elected. And so for us as the church, I think it's this is this opportunity to step away from what we have labeled as our constructed politics or our partisanship and say, no, this is, as you and Tally, you and I have talked about, the seeking of the kingdom that, that we're, we're charged with. This is a whole different entity and a whole different work that we're called to do. This is not about who we support and who we do, what, what policy we do or don't support. It's about really having a very different view of the world, looking for um, what shall be, because we do live in that liminal space, and acting accordingly. That does not mean that we kiss and make up and say, it's all good now. Now that you removed your yard sign saying X, Y, or Z, it just means we've got some big time work to do together. Amen. I mean, I, I wonder, Denise, if and you're what, in, in Louisville? Uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, we're obviously in a different colored state. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, can, uh, you all have a different experience than we do out here. How how has your experience been as a black woman? I, I have no no idea what your experience is, and also I'll leave it open. What what have you been experiencing? You know, um, it has been difficult to be in a city, and I'm still fairly new to Louisville. Been there a year and some change. My family and I have. Um, and we came at well, a great time, right? Um, right before a global pandemic, during which we found ourselves as one of the epicenters of this nation's continued racial unrest and yet another extrajudicial killing of a black person in America. And so, so much of who we are is laid bare. I'm still learning some of the social landscape of this place, but it has been deeply uncomfortable. Um, you have a faction here in Louisville, but also brought more broadly in Kentucky, who just really do not understand where all of this is coming from. You hear the incumbent Senator who has just been reelected as he was up for reelection, you, you hear ads calling you because you've been out there protesting a violent mob. So you know how he feels about you. You look at a child who you send to school every day, who's not around a whole lot of kids anymore who look like her and wonder how that shapes her. And how do you cut some of those um, more negative influences off at the pass. And all of this really is, and you're also being, un, you're, you're also feeling a little bit unmoored because this is, this, you know, you're a transplant here. So 
trying to figure out the, the, the racial landscape. And you know, as people who are not racialized as white, we're constantly scanning the landscape, right? And trying to figure out what's going on here. How am I gonna show up? Am I safe? There's been that constant that, which by itself is just hard. But then coupled with a global pandemic that is disproportionately impacting people who look like you, being in a new city that is super segregated and that city is under the microscope worldwide in some not so good ways. If y'all ain't praying, you need to be. And that leads me to, to really want to just roll down this street around what are the practices of the church that need to be really emphasized more than ever in this season. Uh, 2020 has not just run amok, but 2020 is a disaster upon disaster for so many folks and so many communities. Sometimes I laugh about it, sometimes I cry about it, but um, what are the practices that we need to be lifting up? Um, corporate prayer? Um, what, what other ones would you lift up? I, I, for my, me and my family, for me, at least personally, it's been just trying to read the scriptures again. Um, just not setting my life, building my life around social media conversations, but trying to reflect in some ways um, the word of God again, like centering how I feel in the day around the scripture in some way, form or fashion, right? Whether it's listening to a sermon or reading a, uh, a text or reading a devotion, I'm just trying to figure out how not to let my universe <laughs> be rooted around social media during this season. That just, it just didn't, it wasn't working. I wanted to drink more than any anything else. <laughs> and I don't mean drink water. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> and what I've been wrestling with too in this time is the spiritual discipline of hospitality. Like what, what does that look like right now when we have to be away from each other? Like the most loving thing that we could do for each other is keep our distance. And so that really, God is calling us to account for that. Like, okay, you don't have any of the social norms available to you right now, but you've been told to love. How are you gonna love? How are you gonna do that? How are you gonna check in with your folks? How are you gonna make sure that nobody's forgotten um, when you can't do the easy thing and just be in the same building with them? Like you have to be more intentional about your relationships and, and being community. I really do feel um, that one of Jesus's most powerful teachings was around the creation of family and communities and how intentional he expected his followers to be about, be, be about that. Um, and how much his understanding of family was so much more expansive than the people around him. Like, who are my mother? Who are my brothers and sisters? Those who do the will of my father in heaven, those are my family. You know, who, who, whoever shows you, shows him mercy is your neighbor. Like you go and do likewise. And so he's always challenging us to expand our circles, which hasn't been easy in these days, but it's still our call, right? So that for me is a spiritual discipline that I really, 
want the church to lean into and 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 we really need to be creative about it yeah i think for me it's the way i've been looking at it is less less a spiritual discipline and more a spiritual attitude um and you, you use the word denise intentional um i would also say deliberate i think in many ways um and i'll use myself as an example but i think it goes for the church as well in general um, life has happened to me. And, you know, I've been in relationships because that's where I landed. Or I read the scripture because I was preparing for a sermon. Um, I think in some ways this pandemic has forced me to recognize how happenstance things were and how I need to recalibrate into being very intentional about everything my relationships, my engagement with scripture and prayer, my community involvement. Um, it has to be intentional, deliberate. Um, I wanna say full-throated. I love that, that, that English term, full-throated. It, it, it has to be everything in it. And when I say yes, it's a resounding yes. When I call up a friend now and we have a conversation, it's very intense because it's very intentional and deliberate in doing that. And I think that's what I would, I would hope for the church as well, that the church, small congregations as well as large, look at their ministry, look at their mission, and they say yes to them with a full-throatedness and this commitment to be fully present, fully engaged, fully deliberate in embodying the gospel in whatever shape and form that's going to look like, but that their yeses be a resounding yes. Say it with your chest. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Say, it. Say it with your chest. I think the challenge for me personally is in hospitality, intentionality, prayer, reading the scripture. Um, it's just not to let, not to get blown away. You remember that scripture? to not be like uh, the chaff which the wind drives away um, and, and to try and be by the winds of politics, the winds of power, the winds of economy, economics, the, wind, the winds of social injustice, just not get blown away and to be more rooted in the things that God offers to us in the, in the kingdom and not in my, the nation that I live in, right? The, the one I'm born into or the one I find myself in defending or whatever the case may be, right? Because there are certain folks, as we know, who, um, and I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but, but hold closely the Bible and the flag. Uh, and so this, this for them is, is a different experience than it is for me. And I name that, right? For me, the flag and the Bible don't, don't even show up in the same room. Uh, don't even show up in the same house, let alone the same street corner I live on. So I think the, 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 the way of getting to this space that we long for, that Jesus prayed for to bring us full circle back to unity is to finding those things in us that we can root ourselves in, that are kingdom oriented, that um, don't allow us to get blown away, but allow us to be heavier weighted. Um, and I think that's where that full-throatedness comes from, really, right? Is, 
is that we're they're rooted. We're rooted in something that's that's deeper than a nation that's really young in in history. How does that resonate with you all? I need an amen or two. No, just kidding. <laughs> I was nodding the whole time. <laughs> I'm meditating on roots a lot too. Not not the book or documentary, but like literal roots. And and what does it mean to have deep roots versus broad roots, wide roots? I've been spending a lot of time outdoors, just just contemplating the rootedness of of creation because I feel very unrooted right now. Um, those winds that you talked about, Tally, have been very strong, especially these these last few years. Um, and so what does it mean for me to be rooted? And in what am I rooted? Am I, do I need to be transplanted to different soil? Have I been trying to get nutrition from somewhere that's really not feeding me? <laughs> just like mm. you, just like you were talking about, you know, just getting, um, just figuring out what you need to be surrounded with right now in order to bear fruit and to provide covering for people and to thrive and live and reach up to light it just what's keeping us grounded what's keeping us rooted right now I so appreciate that Denise and um, I'm so grateful to both of you for joining and and chatting with me today um, I pray for rootedness um, I pray for light and rain um, I pray that our branches um, eventually will be able to touch and um, grow together because I think that's the other part of it is that we can be solidly rooted mm -hmm. and grow towards the sky all by ourselves and nobody wants to do that. Mm -hmm. um, I want us to be able to, to grow together. Um, it's Amen. great having you here, Denise. Always good to, to be with Thank you. Thank you, Denise. Yes. Thank you so much for this invitation. And thanks, Callie. Good to You're be welcome. with you, Goodwill. Good to be with you. Yes, everyone stay safe, stay healthy, um, and keep the peace. Amen. Amen. Amen.